It is our privilege to bring to you the following message, supported by the gifts and love offerings of the people of Rancho Baptist Church in Temecula, California. This message was recorded during our normal Sunday morning service times. Pastor Rick Foster is serving as our interim senior pastor here at Rancho Baptist Church. Well, as we've come to our third and final week in our 21 Days of Prayer series, Pastor Rick today talks about how important it is to wait upon the Lord in prayer. Turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 18, and we're looking at verses 1 through 8 in a sermon that Rick has entitled, When, Lord, When? Here's Rick. Well, we're entering into the last of three laps in our 21-day focus on prayer. I really wish we had the time this morning, and we don't, but I wish we had the time because I think it would be incredibly powerful and good for us if we had the opportunity to allow any of you who wanted to, to stand up and just to tell the rest of us how this focused time on prayer has been changing your life. I've gotten to hear some of the stories, but I'm sure there are a lot of others that I've not even begun to know about. Because prayer changes things, and prayer changes us. So I hope if we, that if we can't do it in a larger setting like this, that somehow, some way, in your circle of the family, or your friends, or the home fellowship, or Bible study that you're in, that in some way you are getting the opportunity to let others in on how these last couple of weeks, or when we're finally done, how the 21 days of prayer has impacted you. And that's why we're taking these Sundays during these 21 days to focus on the issue of prayer, not in an exhaustive way, four Sundays is not going to do that, but in some rather pointed ways, because you've heard me say over the last couple of weeks, this is an area where we tend to bear an immense load of guilt. Philip Yancey, in his book on prayer, made the following comment. He says, if prayer stands as the place where God and human beings meet, then I must learn about prayer. Because most of my struggles in the Christian life circle around the same two themes. Why doesn't God act the way we want God to? And second, why don't I act the way God wants me to? And prayer is the precise point where those themes converge. Or to use a a vocabulary that you've been hearing me say consistently since January, prayer is the conversation that occurs when God seeks to blend my small story into his larger story. But the blending of those two stories gets tricky, doesn't it? It gets tricky because, as Yancey, I think, correctly identifies, it's right at that very point where God isn't doing what I think he ought to do and I'm not doing what God thinks I ought to do. It's right at that point where struggles begin to occur, where tensions begin to percolate towards the surface, where misunderstandings can multiply like weeds in the garden of my heart. So as we seek to follow Jesus Christ on a daily basis, we need to have our eyes wide open to how easy it is in prayer to lose our joy, to lose our enthusiasm, to wallow in discouragement. Now, fortunately, our Lord is a good shepherd. And 
He speaks to these struggles, these tensions, these misunderstandings, and he wants to set the captives free. So grab your Bibles this morning and open it if you would to Luke chapter 18. Here are some great words from our shepherd this morning. And in writing down these words that Luke understands that Jesus said, he starts with an initial purpose statement in verse 1. Now, it's interesting that there are very few times when the gospel writers tell us up front the purpose or the point to why Jesus told a story. But this is one of those times. So why is Luke doing the unusual here? It could be that he didn't want his readers to misunderstand the intention of the story or this parable. I think Luke does it to highlight the importance of the story and its key issues. In other words, he wants us to work our way through the details of the story with a lens of a specific purpose in mind from the very get-go. Well, what are those key issues? What is that purpose? Well, look at verse 1. Let's tear into it. And Jesus told them a parable to the effect that they ought to always pray and not lose heart. Notice that word ought. At least that's what I have in my English Standard Version. It means something is necessary. Something is essential. So whatever it is that Jesus is going to be talking about in a moment, we can't afford to not be doing it. Well, what is that? Well, notice verse 1. We can't afford to not be praying always. In other words, engaging in an ongoing conversation with our Heavenly Father is something which ought to characterize us. Well, does it? And if it doesn't, why doesn't it? Well, this story, this parable that we're going to be looking at is intended to shed light on those kinds of questions. Which leads to another detail to look at in verse 1. Notice it's also essential that we not lose hearts. That idea means to become weary or tired or to lose your enthusiasm for a certain course of behavior. We get discouraged. We give up. Now, I don't know about you, but any time I read in the Bible, someone offers insight on on how not to lose heart. I'm all ears. I mean, I want in on that. Because that seems to be the main struggle in my life almost every day. Not giving up not becoming so weary that I lose my joy, I lose my passion for action. Oh yeah, I keep functioning, just like you keep functioning. But there's no real sense of fulfilling that which God has for me or enjoying my relationship with him. So Jesus wants us to understand here, look at verse 1 again, that there's a direct connection here between always being about this conversation of prayer Praying consistently and yet not losing heart. So what is it that keeps us from praying continually? What's going on inside of us that causes us to lose heart in this ongoing conversation between us and our Heavenly Father? See, here's another place where Jesus speaks about the guilt that we so often carry about prayer. And he wants to set us free. And he does it, notice, starting in verse 2 to verse 8, through telling us an interestingly powerful story. 
Now, you've heard me mention this before, so I think it's really good to bring it up again. Why does Jesus so often teach by way of story? Because life comes to us as a story. There is no owner's manual. Rather, we are immersed from birth until death in a web of relationships and in an unfolding plot. And so stories help us understand our story, and stories are incredibly memorable. I mean, we easily forget truths that are presented to us in a didactic manner, but teach that same truth via a way of a story, and the audience is never the same, because they'll never forget it. Jesus knows this. And so notice, at the start of his story, he gives us two vividly contrasting characters. In verse 2, we have the first, and that is the judge. So Jesus said, verse 2, In a certain city there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected man. So notice, in the role of a judge, this man is powerful. He's a shaker and mover in his community. He's got a position of respect and authority because people are coming to him for decisions and what he says goes. But we're given more than just his public status. Notice we're also given an inside look at the private status of his heart. Look at the two defining elements here in verse 2 of the judge's character. First, he does not fear God. In other words, here's a man who has no moral code of conduct, no awareness that there's divine absolutes that should govern, govern his actions, his influences, his choices, or his values. In other words, he does not believe he is accountable to anybody or anyone outside of himself. Look at the second thing that defines him. He does not respect man. Interesting, that word respect means to be sensitive to another person's status. So it doesn't matter what your problem is. This judge is not motivated to act based upon your need. In other words, no one has ever accused him of being compassionate. Never. And it also doesn't matter what you think of him. He isn't going to seek your favor by the choices and decisions that he makes. In other words, his attitude towards people is, I couldn't care less. Now, as we'll see in a moment, his dominant motivation is revealed in that he simply does what is best for me. What does that sound like our day? Now, Jesus introduces us to a second character. Someone who is in utter contrast to the judge. Look at verse 3, and we're introduced to the widow. And there was a widow in that city who kept coming to him, meaning the judge, and saying, give me justice against my adversary. In that day, a widow was typically both helpless and vulnerable. There were no government programs or funds to support her. And so the one strength that she could lean on, her husband is gone. 
So she is not respected in her community. She is pitied. Her position in life is one of desperate dependence. Now notice in verse 3, like the judge, we are given two defining characteristics in her life. First, in addition to her struggling position as a widow, notice she needs legal protection. So this lady, she only has one string left on her dilapidated banjo, but she keeps strumming that one string. Give me justice against my adversary. Over and over again, that is the only thing that she is strumming. Now, we're not told the specifics at all. It could be that when her husband died, he owed somebody some money. And now that other person may be using that debt as leverage to take over the family farm. Again, we don't know what it is that's really going on. But whatever it is, someone is trying to take something from her, and it isn't right, it isn't fair. Second thing we know about her is that even though she's helpless, even though she is vulnerable as a widow, she does have one very valuable asset, her tenacity. This lady is like a bulldog. Notice in verse 3, she keeps coming to the judge. Verse 5, she keeps bothering him. The end of verse 5, she continually comes. So open up, the, open up your mind to the picture of what's going on here. Every morning, he opens up the front door to go get the morning paper. She's standing there on the sidewalk saying, Good morning, judge. Will you give me justice today? He goes to work and looks out the window. She's on the sidewalk across from his office holding a protest sign, walking back and forth chanting, Hey, hey, ho, ho, I need justice, don't you know? He goes to lunch. He goes to an appointment. She follows him down the street, yelling out loud for anybody to hear, I need justice from the judge and he's not giving it to me. This lady is an unrelenting stalker. This is the widow. Now, from all outward appearance, her appeals are seeming to fall on deaf ears. And then we're given the surprising outcome. But look at the start of verse 4. Verse 4 begins by telling us, for a while he refused. Say, deaf ears. Yeah, right, lady, I'm not doing anything for you. He is not going to budge. Why? Well, as verse 2 has already told us, he doesn't care about other people's problems. He doesn't care what other people think about him. But look what the next word is. But. So for a while he refused, but afterward, but afterward he said to himself, though I neither fear God nor respect man, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice so that she will not beat me down by her continual coming. So he finally caves in. <laughs> Why? Notice, it's not because he started listening to his conscience and his moral obligation to her. That wasn't it. It wasn't because he was up for election and now he cared about his reputation in the community that this woman is exposing. No, that wasn't it. And it's not is it any unexplained outpouring of compassion for her plight. That's not it either. A couple of years ago, a company in Chicago, which is one of the largest magazine fulfillment firms. They handle subscriptions by computer. 
And among other things, they send out renewal and expiration notices. Well, one day the computers at that company malfunctioned. And soon after, a rancher up in Powder Bluff, Colorado, in a week's time, received 9,734 separate mailings from this company informing him that his subscription to National Geographic had expired. Finally, one day, he dropped what he was doing. He got into his pickup. He drove 10 miles to the nearest post office. He sent in money for a renewal along with this note that said, I give up. Send me your magazine. See, why did the judge give up? The same reason that that cowboy gave up. Two reasons. Look at verse 5. First, she keeps bothering me. She's causing me trouble, literally, that word means. She's being a burden. She's being a nuisance. The the New Living Translation says she's driving me crazy. Wait a minute. Doesn't that word bother ring a bell? Last week, Luke 11. That's the same exact word that we saw when that man is in bed and his friend comes and knocks on his door at midnight. He says, don't Bother me. In other words, do not inconvenience me. That was one reason, but there was a second reason. He also gave up because notice in verse 5, she's beating me down. Now, the word that Jesus uses here literally means to give someone else a black eye. But we're not told in this situation that she got physically violent with a guy or ever threatened violence against the guy. So this isn't a physical attack, He's using that term in a figurative way to talk about her constant words of appeal are wearing him out. Her constant verbal assault starts feeling like blows to the face. We could even say he feels browbeaten. That's probably pretty close. Now, Jesus uses this interestingly powerful story to reveal the insightful application for us about prayer, starting at verse 6 down to verse 8. Look at verse 6. And God said, excuse me, and the Lord said, hear what the unrighteous judge says, and will not God give... Okay, stop right there. Notice, Jesus is using this parable to teach us something through the use of hyperbole. Hyperbole. The use of extreme exaggeration to make a point. So we have any kids or teenagers here? How many times, for those of you who are in that age group, have you heard your parents say, if I've told you once, I've told you a million times? Have they really told you a million times whatever it was you're talking about? No. Or parents, how many of us, in trying to help our children not be swayed by the opinion of their peers, have said, well, if all your friends go and jump off a cliff, are you going to jump off one too? Hyperbole. Or who here hasn't at some point said, I am so hungry I could eat a horse? Okay, hyperbole. Extreme exaggeration to make a point. The exaggeration here to make a point is the contrast between the heart of the judge who the widow is appealing to and the heart of our God who we appeal to. 
So on the one hand, we have this judge who has no fear of God, who does not respect man, yet he finally and reluctantly caves in because of this woman's persistence. And on the other hand, we have our God. And the parable is a challenge to what do I really believe about the heart of my God? Is my God the extreme contrast to this judge, or do I honestly, but probably quietly, think they're more alike? See, this story is asking us to face our story. Does my heavenly Father really care, and does he have the character for me to trust what he will do? What are we told about God's heart? Well, that's a sermon series in itself, isn't it? Romans 8.31 If God is for us, who is against us? Psalm 56.9 This I know that God is for me. Psalm 118.6 The Lord is for me. I will not fear, what can man do to me? See, what I believe about God's heart sets the tone for my heart and becomes then the lens, like a set of glasses, through which I view life. Yet if these verses accurately reflect the heart of my God, the verses that I just gave to you up on the screen, and there are tons more like them, then why do I lose heart and so inconsistently then pray about my needs? See, to pray consistently with joyful enthusiasm means I've got to settle two key issues, and this is where Jesus goes to finish this story up. The first issue is I gotta settle the issue of justice. Look at the start of verse seven. And will not God give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night? Folks, there is something hardwired in us. I believe it's because we bear imagio Deo, the image of God within us. There's something hardwired inside each of us to want justice. We want people to be treated fairly. We want evil to be punished. We want honesty to saturate our relationships. And part of the loss of innocence that we see kids go through, that we all went through, is waking up to the fact life is not fair. And we know that so deeply because we've been hurt, we've been wounded, we've been disillusioned, we've been betrayed by someone or by something. What happened wasn't right, it wasn't fair, I did not deserve it. And so we pray, God, are you going to correct this situation? Are you going to step in and make things right for me? Why are those who practice evil getting away with it? Why do those who love what is good They're having to struggle under unjust situations. Now, back to verse 7. Did you notice it's a question? Will not God give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night? It's a question. 
So what's the answer? What is the answer? We want to say yes, but we hesitate because of our experience in life, don't we? Can we allow God's word to help us settle this? The answer. Psalm 37, 28. For the Lord loves justice and does not forsake his godly ones. Psalm 89, 14. Righteousness and justice are the foundation of your throne. Loving kindness and truth go before you. Psalm 146, verse 5 to 7. How blessed is he whose help is the God of Jacob, whose hope is in the Lord his God, who made heaven and earth, the sea, and all that is in them, who keeps faith forever, who executes justice for the oppressed, who gives food to the hungry. The Lord sets the prisoners free. So let's be really honest this morning. When we read scriptures like those of what is true, and yet on the inside we struggle because it doesn't look true, does it? If God loves justice, why don't I get to see it? See, this is part of what Yancey was trying to point out in that quote at the front end. Why doesn't he act like I want him to when I ask for justice in my specific situation? Which leads us to the second issue that needs to get settled. Not only is it justice, there's a second one, and that is delay. Look at the last part of verse 7, the first part of verse 8. And will he delay long over them? Again, here's a question. I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. Speedily. How often have we given up? How often have we lost heart because we didn't get an answer to prayer? So we pray, but it seems like God is silent or our prayers just seem to be bouncing off of the ceiling. How many here have been praying for something or for someone for months, years, without getting an answer? And you wonder, is God's heart like the heart of the judge? Is his heart, I couldn't care less, Rip? See, it's absolutely critical that we we understand Jesus' words here. And the key to understanding what he means in verse 8 is that he will give justice, English Standard Version, speedily. Why does he use that word speedily? Well, back up to verse 7. Will he delay long? There's the question. The answer is speedily. See, to delay is is to do what? It's to experience a postponement of... Oh, wow, that's, that's life for us here in Temecula. Just get on I-15. Experience a delay. It's the time frame between where you are and where you want to be. So, here's the question. Does God purposefully delay or postpone his actions? 
or, or maybe just a little bit of a different angle here on the question. Does he always act at exactly the perfect moment? What we have here is a timing issue, isn't it? At its core, it's the timing issue. I want it now. But are we willing, in the matter of justice, to let God control the timing and trust his heart in it? See, this is one of those major tensions when it allows God to come in and start to blend my small story into his larger story. Okay, yeah, Rick, I understand that. But what about the word speedily? Or if you're in the New American Standard, the word quickly. That just blows everything you're saying out of the water. Oh, no, it doesn't. See, the word speedily or quickly is tacos. And no, it's not where we get the word taco from, meaning fast food. No, that's not where we're going here. Meaning tachometer. That instrument that measures the speed of an engine. Not how fast you get from point A to point B, but how fast is the motor going. So again, it's not the word speedily here in the story. It's not being used to describe the time between two events. Rather, it's describing the speed that an event, how an event occurs. Let me give you an example of this. Acts chapter 10 and verse 33. Great example. Cornelius, the Roman army officer, received a vision from God about seeking out Peter to come up to his house And this is how he describes his response in Acts 10.33. He said, so, Peter, I sent for you immediately. Or some of your translations will say, I sent for you at once. That's the same word, takos, meaning I acted quickly, I acted swiftly. Now, if you look at Acts chapter 10, verse 33, though, the, the, the time from that happening until Peter showing up was, what, four days or more? It's talking about Cornelius's quick, firm action at the moment. So in other words, when the delay to our request for justice seems long, am I willing to leave the timing in God's hands, believing at just the right moment as part of his larger story that he wants my smaller story to enter into, he will, when the time is right, act swiftly on our behalf. It won't ooze. It'll happen. And that leads to Jesus' final point. Settling the issues of justice and delay require a bold response from us. Look at the last statement in verse 8. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? It will take from us faith to believe that our Heavenly Father cares about justice and we look at our circumstances. It will take faith to leave the timing in His hands when I want it now. See, these final words leave us with a haunting question because the last statement in verse 8 is a question. Our Jesus is going to unexpectedly return one day. What will he find? Will he see us as his people? 
facing our need of justice and delay in, in, in getting what we're asking of him, is he going to see in us then by faith we're constantly and consistently praying and trusting our Father's heart? I'll never settle the issues of justice and delay without this bold response of faith and trust in his heart. Because prayer is that place where God and human beings meet. It's the point where my struggle with why God doesn't act the way I want him to and why I don't act the way God wants me to, it converges right here. And for those of us who have lost heart, who have no joy or hopeful expectancy of the Lord coming and making right the unjust circumstances of life. Dear friends, today is the day to settle this. To settle in your own heart and life the issues of justice, the issues of delay by choosing what will you trust. I left it over in my office. I'll grab it for the next two services. But I went to Home Depot, pulled out my wallet, and spent 35 cents on a survey stake. A wooden survey stake. Like the one up on the screen. Can I make a suggestion today? Some of you need to settle it. That issue you've been praying about, or maybe you've long ago given up consistently praying about, it only comes up when you're poked and the emotions are raw that you drive a stake in the ground about this today based on Luke 18, 1 to 8 and settle the issues of justice and delay. Spend 35 cents. Go to Home Depot. Make one of these yourself with from wood that is in your garage. I don't care. Take a permanent magic marker and somewhere on it write today's date. May the 7th, 2017. And then on one side of that stake, right in that, with that magic marker, I believe God loves justice. And then flip the stake over to the other side and write, I will trust his timing. And then I want you to take it and put it in your backyard. Put it in your front yard where you will drive by it as you come in and out of your home every day, where you'll look out the kitchen window and see it out there in the garden, or through the sliding glass doors in the lawn, take a hammer, go out, and drive it into the ground. Somewhere where you'll constantly see it and be reminded of the utter contrast between the judge and your father's heart. Father, you know there are so many areas in my life where that's a need. I pray for my brothers and sisters because just even in these few months of being a part of Rancho Baptist, I've heard so many stories, so many heartbreaking stories of how life has been painfully unfair of ways in which my dear brothers and sisters are appealing to you to come and make right that which has been so damaged by the world, by sin, by the choices of others that have splashed on them. 
and my heart aches. My heart aches for them as it aches for my own issues. God, don't let us lose hearts. But the only way we can do that is by trusting your heart. That you are a God of justice. And at the exact perfect moment, you will speedily act. Father, that that requires faith, that requires trust, as we've seen from the scriptures. And I pray that you would give me that ability to trust your loving heart, your caring heart, your sovereign heart in control of all things with the specifics of my life, my relationships, my issues. And so, Father, I pray that there would be those here in our midst that would boldly go and get a stake and drive it into the ground to settle the issue today. Not tomorrow, today. Settle that issue as an act of trust between us and you. And I pray this in the trustworthy name of our Savior Jesus. Hey, thanks for being with us today. It's always a pleasure to serve you with this CD ministry. Here at Rancho Baptist Church, our mission is to glorify God by making disciples who love God, love others, and live to reach their world for Christ. And if you have any questions regarding this sermon, or just perhaps knowing God in a deeper way, don't hesitate to give us a call. Our phone number is area code 951-676-2911. Or you can reach us on the web at www. Dot Rancho Baptist Church dot org. That's www.ranchobaptistchurch.org. Have a great day in the Lord and God bless you as you continue to walk with Him.